Warning. The following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. I just love living all the way up here in Harlem. I mean, it's pretty fantastic, but what's got you feeling so fantastic about it today? I love walking up to Broadway or getting off the train there and just seeing all the people sitting on a park bench surrounding a radio blasting that amazing music. Ah, that's what I thought it was. There is nothing like stepping out of the station and hearing Marvin Gaye or Aretha Franklin, or even the great Temptations. You know, just hearing them as you make your way home. It is quite the nice soundtrack to the world we live in up here. It's some of the greatest music ever, and I'm just, I love that I get to hear it day in, day out, still being played aloud here on the streets. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today, we're going to be discussing the hit pack show, Motown the Musical. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Calling out around the world, are you ready for a brand new beat? Cause summer's here and the time is right for dancing in the street. And no matter where you're at, we'll be dancing in the street with you as we delve into this funky, groovy, and soulful musical, Motown the Musical. The show, which contained over 66 of Motown's greatest hits, danced its way onto Broadway and had audiences moving and grooving to the beat along with its talented cast. But before we can celebrate 25 years of Motown, we have to go back to where it all began. So let's lay the groundwork. Motown the Musical is based on Barry Gordy's autobiography, To Be Loved, The Music the magic, the memories of Motown, and on the history of his founding and running of the Motown record label and his personal and professional relationships with Motown artists such as Diana Ross, Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye, and Michael Jackson. The production's music and lyrics are taken from sections from the Motown catalog. Before we keep going, let us take a moment to introduce our design team. For the book, we have Barry Gordy, Music, Sony, and ATV Music Publishing, Director Charles Randolph Wright, Choreographer Patricia Wilcox and Warren Adams, Scenic Design by David Corrins, Costume Design, Emilio Sosa, Lighting Design, Natasha Katz, Sound Design, Peter Helensky, Projection Design, Daniel Brody, 
Heron wig design, Charles G. LaPointe, and makeup design, J. Jared Janis. The show would arrive at the Lundfontein Theater on April 14, 2013, and play for nearly two years and 738 performances, closing on January 18, 2015. That season, it would be nominated for four Tony Awards. During its Broadway run, it began a national tour on April of 2014. A year after closing, Motown returned to Broadway for a limited engagement in the summer of 2016 at the Nederlander Theater. The musical opened on July 12, 2016 for an 18-week run, but sadly closed on July 31st of 2016. After speculation that a London production would be staged in the Dominion Theater, which would be refurbished following the closure of We Will Rock You, an eventual West End production was announced in May 2015 for the Shaftesbury Theater, which began on February 11, 2016, running until April 20, 2019. So let's go ahead and go cruising into our story. Pasadena Civic Auditorium. Recording artists gather to celebrate Motown Records' 25th anniversary. In a flashback, the young Barry Gordy watches the neighbors dancing in Detroit. The music follows the rise of the iconic R&B label as Diana Ross becomes an international sensation, Smokey Robinson heads up the miracles, and Gordy's talented artists become mainstream headliners. Songs that have become a part of the American consciousness from giants like The Supremes, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, The Temptations, and Michael Jackson, and The Jackson Five are all here in one memorable evening. It is the real story of the one-of-a-kind sound that hit the airwaves in 1959 and changed our culture forever. The exhilarating show charts Motown founder Barry Gordy's incredible journey from featherweight boxer to the heavyweight music mogul who launched the careers of people like Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye, and so many more. Featuring all the loved classics, the musical, the musical tells the story behind the hits as Diana, Smokey, Barry, and the whole Motown family fight against the odds to create the soundtrack that changed America. Motown shattered barriers, shaped our lives, and made us all move to the same beat. The musical also shows some of the uh, fallout that happened with the Motown family as they changed in the ever-changing world. The The end. end. So let's discuss the parts of the show that we loved, liked, needed to change, all that stuff. Do 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 do. I couldn't help but sing with this show. <laughs> um, I I, I, I want to just preface this by saying I know the synopsis like wasn't our typical synopsis, especially for a musical. It's like, well, hold on, where's the story? Okay, here's the story: the story of Barry Gordy and the founding of Motown. 
leading up to basically, I don't want to say the fall of Motown, but Motown being sold to Sony, and then, you know, 25th anniversary live from the Anaheim Civic Center. You know, that's that's Motown. That's hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the story of the mus- the, this musical. It just follows how Motown Records was created and the careers that it launched. Mm-hmm. And it just, it the dialogue was interactions between Barry Gordy and um, all the different artists and to thoughts give you a it. full synopsis we would really literally probably have to just read the script it, exactly like there's just there's a lot that happens but then there's also a not not a lot that happens but to be able to create a the, synopsis exactly there's a lot that happens but to put it into a synopsis form it's like we really don't need to say this 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 here we go it's a 10 word synopsis so back to discussing what we liked and what we thought needed more work I personally loved this show. I love the music, but I love the Motown sound. I'm all about that Motown sound. I could listen to it for days. Um, And I loved the story. I loved how it told the story of where Motown came from and how it came to be and the lasting impact that Motown and its music um, had on the world and how the sound changed music as a whole. I'm going to just sidestep this for a minute and, and just point out to, to youngins or, or fans of hip-hop and rap. I mean, a lot of samples that come in for hip-hop and rap, particularly in the 90s and early 2000s, it is a hip, it is Motown music. Mm-hmm. It is Motown music. Um, I, I, pr- I promise you, if you look up a lot of the your favorite samples or riffs in that and a lot of hip-hop or modern music, I guarantee you it comes right back to a Motown song. I can't tell you how many songs I've heard that I'm like, mm, that's a really great, you know, hook. That's that's an awesome song. And I'm like, yeah, but I can tell you right now, that's actually from mm-hmm. back in the day. <laughs> you know, and it may not be exactly from Motown, but it's that, that sound, sound. It's that time. One of the things I'm thinking of right now is, you know, everyone knows uh, Missy Elliott. Right? Mm-hmm. I can't stand the rain against my window. Beep, beep, yeah. There's that great sample there, and she does a whole rap. Yeah, that's from like the 60s. Oh, see, the one I'm thinking of the most is um, Marvin Gaye and Robin Thicke. Gotta give it up. And his taking of that and putting it into blurred lines, but then there was the subsequent, you know. Well, he didn't pay for those rides, and the Marvin Gaye estate was like, mm, pay me. But yeah, so there's just so much of that sound that exists, um, and I think a lot of people just don't realize it, you know, and it's incredible. So I, yeah, I love the sound. Um, I also love that the show showed how history influenced and played side-by-side side to the goings-on of Motown. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but... You're wrong. No, I'm kidding. Barry Gordy and Diana Ross really did have a relationship. Yes. yes. Right. So for me, that was the part of the show I liked was seeing how they had a relationship, but then how they didn't have a relationship anymore. Yes. Like a, a intimate relationship, I should say. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I just like the fact that there was all this change and and and. and conflict and tumultuous time happening outside the doors of Motown, but Barry Gordy wasn't letting that music influence, or letting that influence the music inside, you know. Um, 
until like artists like Marvin Gaye or songwriters came in that started going, look, I've got this music and we have we can't just say silent, you know. And then he started getting things like uh, War and uh, All well, of Confusion, confusion. yep. Yeah. Um, and I loved loved the actor's ability to impersonate these larger than life people like Smokey Robinson, Diana Ross, Marvin Gaye. Barry Gordy, Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, you know, um, Gladys Knight and the Pips, who I don't know if many people know, I heard it through the grapevine by Marvin Gaye, right? Mm-hmm. He was not the first one to, to put out that song, Gladys Knight and the Pips were. Mm-hmm. Two different sounds on that song. Oh, and I love that. I love how two different artists can totally have different, you know what I mean, like different interpretations and so brilliant. So I love that these actors it's like watching these these great figures live in person. You know, it's like I, I keep saying if you've never got a chance to see Michael Jackson well, he's alive and well eight times a week at the Neil Simon Theater right now. You know, my, Miles, Frost, Miles Frost is doing a brilliant job. So, And then the dancing and the singing, they all did it for me. So I, I adored the show. But I live for Motown, so I'm biased. I own my bias. <laughs> um, shall we go into our little boxes now? Yeah, let's put in their little boxes little of boxes on. ticky-tacky. Ticky-tacky. Well, then let's talk about the set. Let's talk about the set. Um, so let's see. This was the first show after Ghost at the Lunt Fontaine, right? Yes, I believe you're correct. This was the first show at the Lunt Fontaine after Ghost. Um, so something that was unique in Ghost that I saw was like this like hyper focused using the moving set pieces. So yeah, where they use the two flats from each side of the stage and then the leg from above and mm-hmm. they would use it almost like a camera shutter. Yes, because they moved super quickly. And they would it would reduce the negative space on stage mm-hmm. to create smaller essentially rooms so or So the state. reason why I bring up Ghost is because I remember seeing it, Ghost, but then I remember seeing it again used in a similar way. In Motown. In Motown. And I think the reason behind it is, like I said, it eliminates a lot of negative space. So if you have intimate scenes, and there were a lot of intimate scenes, like the recording studio or whatnot, if you've got a lot of two people, three people scenes or what have you, you need to eliminate... You need to make them look bigger or what have you. And I think that's a great way that I think they discovered to eliminate all that extra space upstage or above the stage so that your actors don't look as small. That they're not getting swallowed up by all that extra space. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases it works. Some cases it doesn't. Um, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And it is a, when you get to see it and it's done right, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I didn't remember that, though. Um, now that you bring it up, I remember actually, I think they used it a lot in the, the two-story six-window set where they would bounce around, mm-hmm. which was cool. Uh, I love the Motown logo that we started out with. Yeah. The classic Motown logo. The Hitsville USA house. Yeah. Um, the, and, and, and I mentioned the 1960 squares flat background. They did have the three flat background that would shift from side to side with the colored squares, the very 1960s. Not they and there was like no pattern to it. Yeah. They were just like given tiles and they're like, yeah, this looks right. Yes, Yay. that modern that modern painting style with the squares. Yep. 
and they, you know, that was that doubled mainly for a lot of the. Um, I want to say it was like the TV studio stuff because I remembered a lot of it for the Jackson Five. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that brings into like the different venues, like when they were in the South and they had the roped off section part. Um, and then, you know, the different recording studios that they had, Barry's studio, these little, just little set pieces that they use to create these bigger places. They didn't have these fully furnished sets, just a couple of things here and there. But of course the sets change so often as well. Um, so it was very clever and perfect in its simplicity, Mm -hmm. you know, and it set the time and place just perfectly. Yep. You knew exactly when and where you were. All the all of the set pieces looked of the time. There was nothing modern about it. They had a good time at the thrift store. They <laughs> popped some tags because they only had twenty dollars in their pocket. Twenty dollars couldn't even get you. Listen, I don't want to talk about inflation, <laughs> but you know what I do want to talk about? Costumes. I want to talk about costumes. You mean speaking of popping tags? Oh God, I walked right into that. Yeah, you did. So these were fabulous costumes. They were very iconic and of the time. Well, and, and they were iconic in that they looked, they were almost like replicas yes, of yes, things that yes. the artists wore. Yes, that's literally what I wrote down next. I put, love seeing the iconic group costumes. Like, you go back and look at the pictures, those suits for groups like the Temptations, the Four Tops, the Commodores. Like, those were with the, um, oh, what's Cummerbund? The, thank you, the Cummerbund there, but they're in these gold suits, you know. It was so amazing. And I'm just like looking at these and I'm like, no, like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> what I love is like, You're speechless. What I loved is that the music was considered like sinful. The moves were considered sinful, moving your hips and everything like that, right? But yet these. These groups were still done up like they were going to church or something, you know. They still were yeah, they still were all, so well dressed. Yeah, and I'm like, but your music and your moves are apparently are terrible, but you look still safe. Like that does that's just an oxymoron to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had that look, and then you turn that around, and you have other groups like the Supremes, who are in those beautiful dresses all the time, um, and we can't forget the Jackson Five. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Jackson Five and their iconic. Um, Really big shoe performance. Uh, the Ed Sullivan show. Right. When Michael was in the purple hat and uh-huh. everything. You know, like I said, down to a T, these were just spot on. The 50s and 60s looks, they were brilliant. I mean, even when it came down to how the hair was done and yes. down to the mustache styles, oh my, those were the exact especially same. Especially when we progressed into the act, into act two in the late 60s and the 70s. Getting those mustaches like even more fuller or having them grow down to, not a Fu Manchu, but like a horseshoe or what have you, you know, just really getting in that crazy facial hair period. Um, yeah, it was great to see those that Details. all developed. Yeah, and it was just all the hair was styled and quaffed and teased and curled exactly how it needed to look. What? Okay. I'll make sure I tell Heather you thought it was perfect. Did Heather work on the show? Heather was the supervisor for the Motown. Oh, it was so good. So I was going to ask. So with the gentleman, uh-huh. what's the thing with the curl in the center? It almost looks like they put like a, a, a tube there and then they curled their hair around it. Like? A, is that a pompadon? Pompadour? Pompadour. Pompadon's Indian bread. <laughs> is it a pompadour? Yeah. Where the, yeah, the pompadours were really fantastic, seeing them in like the Commodore's. 
mm-hmm. and the um, the four tops, and then like I said, seeing the evolution of hair. Per- oh, with the Supremes! Oh, the Supremes was mm-hmm. so good. And then of course, and then we had you the- get to Diana's iconic, yes, Diana at the Ross end. natural, glorious big the hair. The gold hair, yes, the mahogany hair, just oh, it was so good. I loved it, and so I was like. It's not stereotyped. It's not cartoony or cosplay. It is. It looks real. It looks natural. It's right. You know, so. Um, speaking of right, something that rhymes with right is light. Light! So let's talk about the lights. Um, I remember it feeling like I was at a concert. Well, kind of. So, first, before I do that, I, I want to talk about the palette. I, I want to address the palette first. Can we address the palette? palette. Do you mind if I say palette again? Um, the palette for the show had a lot of blues with reds and purples scattered in, so there's that imaginative, imaginative palette at work again. Palette. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I gotta get my palette knife. Uh, of course, this was a story about creating a whole new genre and idea. Um, and then American icons. So of course it's gonna have um, those, those purples and reds and such in it, but I just... I love the way that color was balanced. And it was mainly balanced in the back. So it was like an accent. We didn't see a ton of it. Like the light was on the psych? Well, no, no, not even just on the psych. Just in the... Even when the characters were... like, It was like the, the front was lit more in regular lighting. But further back you got, the more there were the colors. So if the ensemble was further in the back, they were also in the colors. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah, It was yeah, like yeah. They were, there was a wash... A wash of color in the back. A wash of color, exactly. And then now going back to your thought about concerts. So yeah, uh, the lighting kind of felt like a concert, but it didn't have the modern concert feel. Explain yourself, sir. I see. I even wrote that down, if that makes sense. I knew you were going to (laughs) say explain yourself. See, I read you like a book. There weren't like a ton of moving lights and crazy colors. Okay, so even if they had this big number, you know, you make me want to shout, put my hands up and shout, throw my hands uh-huh. up. There weren't flashing lights and moving. No, they were just, they just lit the cast as needed during the concert moment. So there were brighter lights or probably like wider lights to give you that feeling of like harsher lights, more angles and such. But then during the ensemble numbers or time pass numbers, we had, that's where we had more active lights, more moving lights and things like that. Mm-hmm. But when they were just there to perform, the lights were stagnant, but they were brighter. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by it felt like a concert, but it didn't. Because like in, in, in more modern shows, in jukebox musicals, whatever, when we say it's, it's uh, concert lighting, you get the feeling, you know, there's... Lights moving, it's like red, yellow, red, yellow, purple, blue, red. Yeah, it really does feel like a concert. But this is almost like they're, they're lit. This might be a concert in a town hall. Which maybe they did do a concert in a town hall. Who knows? I think this is before we had the the mega mega concert. You know, the, the arena tours. Yes. So let's go on to a direction. Let's make our way. Let's let's go in that direction to direction. <laughs> that way. Backwards. Um, I really appreciated the direction of the show overall. I did feel. The ending of the show was like a little abrupt and kind of small. Like, we didn't quite have the buildup and resolution I think we were all hoping for. Like, we kind of like, oh, Motown's kind of falling apart, but it's okay. We'll always have each other. And 
and we have Here's reach out and touch, and then we're having the anniversary, and that was it. And I was like, hmm. So I think one thing to mention to remind our audience that uh, Barry Gordy wrote the book. Yes. And he, it looks like he basically was like, this is what really happened, so this is what we're going to really do. And in real life, there wasn't that theatrical sum it up, tie it up in a bow thing. Well, that depends on who you talk to. Okay. I, I mean, that, that is the thing. This is Barry Gordy's point of view. Um, if you read The Tea Leaves a Little, Dreamgirls is the story of Motown as well. Mm-hmm. So look at the relationship between... Um, Effie and... Well, not just Effie, but the, I can't think of her name. In the film, Beyonce plays her and... and um, Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx plays the other guy, you know. Why, you know, you made a good point. Barry Gordy and um, Diana Ross were together, but why aren't they? And we didn't necessarily get all of that. And I mean, I don't know that that all went down that way, that it was just a professional clean break. The other thing to keep in mind, I mean, we've seen other shows since then, like Ain't Too Proud, Lifetime of the Temptations, who ultimately left Motown, and... MJ now, where MJ leaves Motown. And I'm like, so who, when you ask someone when they left Motown, like, what, what happened? I don't, I don't think it was necessarily, like, horrible. I don't think it was, like, you know, scandal and everything. But at the same time, I'm like, the way that it ended, theatrically, this was not the strongest ending we could have had. Correct. That's why I'm also just like, I Barry Gordy wrote the book. If it ends so nicely, someone should have elbowed him and been like, you sure this is where we should end? You sure there isn't something? Oh, I'm sorry. The final song, I believe, is Can I Close the Door? Barry Gordy singing Can I Close the Door. He's about to go to the 25th. That's right. And I'm like, that's really how we end it? Yeah. So this was really Barry Gordy's story. Yes. told by Barry Gordy. Exactly. And And and, that's something to keep in mind. And you know what? It is important that he told his story, though. Yeah. But that's why, for me, the ending, I was like... Meh. There needs to be another scene. Yes. One more thing to fill us in on the the denouement, the finality of Motown. What happened? Because Motown is still so relevant. So what happened? How did we get here? Look, I wasn't in the room, and I don't know. And honestly, I, I don't know if what's true and what's not, because I wasn't there when Motel was created and all that stuff. So I could be just talking out of my tuchus. But I still, the story that was told and was woven through was brilliant for me. Um, so the director did a great job of, of, you know, for 90% of the show, really keeping everything held together. It was just that last 10% that I was like, mm-hmm. Right, like, I think we hurried to print on that one. Um, I've mentioned this before. I love the two-layer story. The story of how Motown and the music and sound came to be, and then the story of how it paralleled with what was happening in the U.S. at the time. Right, because the music inspired... The the the, the music was inspired by what was happening outside the doors, and then what also... Was, what, was, what was happening was inspired by the music. Right. But, I mean, both... They were feeding off of each other. Uh-huh. And I think it was really important that they kept checking in with what was happening... You know, finding out about the Detroit riots, finding out about the assassination of Martin Luther King, um, 
of, of Dr. King and of the president and then pointing out how racist and dangerous the South was. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Letting, keeping us informed about that to show us, like, this music had to come from somewhere, but it doesn't just come from, you know, sitting in your room writing a song and being like, I'm a genius. There is a place it comes from. Mm-hmm. And the risk they took as well. So... Uh, and I thought the over- overall, all the elements did come together to create a brilliant story and a telling experience. Yeah, it definitely was an experience. You know, again, just for me, it's that last 10% that I went, hmm. Um, I want to go talk about the music. I don't think we've talked about it enough. The music? Eh, it's not important in Motown the musical. It's iconic. It's <laughs> classic. It's Motown. What's not to love? I love the mashups and remixes. I loved learning the origins of some of my favorite songs. You know, I, I've always liked this music, but I never really, like, I I knew the, the like, the, the number one hits. You know, like, everyone knows this song. Like, I didn't, I, I wouldn't call myself, like, a true fan because I hadn't delved deep into the catalog. And this show made me go... Deep into the catalog. Right. Well, because this show is about the songs that they're singing. Right. And so it's just, it's a very interesting type of jukebox musical in that sense, too. Because on the one hand, you know, the music isn't being used to further the story, but also the music is the story. Right. If that makes sense. So to learn, for instance, the fact that My Girl was number one. And then to crank out my guy with with Diana Ross and the Supremes. I was like, didn't realize those two came out at the same time, but I know both songs. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what do they have next? You know, the fact that the Temptations were kept to reading these or singing these soulful like love songs and ballads. And when they what they really wanted to do was something more contemporary, current, you know, political. Well, that was what Marvin Gaye was kind of doing. I didn't have any idea about all that. So it just led me on that pipeline of being like, oh my gosh. Right, and, and to after, really and realize... one thing led to another, and it just snowballed, and I found all these artists and all these songs, and I went, where has all this been? Exactly, and to realize that these artists, like when you get an album or when you get an artist, you know, that you like, you kind of take it and you run it with that person, and then you find another one, and then you find another one. But to find that all of these artists were like a family under the same label, interacting and influencing each other was something I didn't know that was yes. happening. Well, and then shortly thereafter we saw the show, there's a station in Salt Lake City called KRCL, Community Radio 90.9. Um, and there's a DJ there, uh, eBay, eBay Jamal Hamilton, I think its name is. Anyway, on Friday afternoons, he does the Friday afternoon soul party. Two hours of nonstop soul music. And I remember being an Uber driver, and on those Fridays I'd be like, hey, like, you know... You may not... What, what would I always say? Like... I don't you, know if you like this, but... No, no, it's like you... No matter what your taste in music is, you're going to have good music today or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter what your taste in music was. I was going to play that music regardless from 4 to 6 p.m. And because of Motown, because diving into that and me wanting more, and I found this station and I found this show, every Friday, like religiously, I would tune in and I would listen, and I would hear even more music, and I'd find out more about this. I later found out that there was a rival company in Motown called Stax, and he would once in a while do a, a soul party of Motown versus Stax, and he'd play one from each company, 
You know, one oh. from Motown, one from Sax, one. And I didn't realize that like some of these people that I loved, you know, they did this and they worked for this company. And it's incredible. And like you said, you can hear influence from different artists in their work. And I was just like, this is what, oh, you know, and I'm living for it. I Now the people that I love to listen to and the artists I hear is just, it's incredible. And it all, you know, naive young me saw uh, Mo, Motown the musical and I just want, I want more. Mm-hmm. I want more than just what they, the top 40 gives me. So the last thing that I, I want us to talk about is the choreography. They're doing choreography. <laughs> um, it was fantastic. On um, the big dance numbers, it felt high energy, and it really helped bring out the power and the rhythm of the music that made America move. I mean, that was one of the things that not only was marketed for the musical, but that is what like how Motown is associated with, which is... This is the music that that influenced a generation and that moved America. You know, while you had, what's her name, Peggy Lee and Perry Como and Bing Crosby singing their stuff, Motown was there and that's what was making America move. That's what was getting people up and going. That mm-hmm. was making hips shake and everything. And I think the choreography really embodied it, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. Sorry, I don't have much to say because, as you know, this wasn't necessarily my favorite show. You need to get on the Motown bandwagon. Um, And so the things that I like about this show is how much you like it, so I like to hear you talk about it. Okay. The show has had several notable performers, including Brandon Victor Dixon, Daniel J. Watts, Ariana DeBose, and Ephraim M. Sykes. talk about the impact the show has had on the theater and its history. So theatrical impact brought the Motown catalog to the stage. I think that's the first and foremost. I really can't think of another show off the top of my head that brought that much of the Motown catalog if and not the yeah, to the stage. Uh, so with that it also officially brought the Motown story to the stage. Um, you know, because Dreamgirls is like the unofficial story. Right, but this is kind of, is this, this is kind of the, this hey, is the, this is the story. Right. This is what happened. This um, is what we made. And it's another great jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. That really, for me, was, was the only theatrical impact. Yeah. I didn't see it as being extremely impactful to the way that we do theater, but it definitely, it But it did, it made it, it did it, have it, an impact. It did have an impact. Um... And then it also had a societal impact. Um, it introduced a younger audience to the music that changed and moved a generation. Yeah. And I think, you know, nine out of ten people on the street are going to recognize my girl. I think nine out of ten people will probably recognize I heard it through the grapevine. Uh, I think nine out of ten people are going to recognize 
ain't no mountain high enough. Mm-hmm. But how many people are going to recognize something like um, Ball of Confusion? Or You're All I Need to Get By? Mm-hmm. Or the way you, the way you, uh, the way you do the things you do, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Smokey Robinson mm-hmm. and The Miracles, Tears of a Clown, you know? So th- this was a great way to, to introduce a younger audience to that. It told the story behind such a profound American style of music. And that's something that I really want to emphasize. America, my whole... Sorry, I got Paradise Square on my hair. Um, America has not created as many things as I think we think we have. Especially in the arts. And, you know, we are America has created the musical theater. Mm-hmm. That's ours. We've created jazz. We did that. We also created hip-hop, R&B, rap. That's us. This style, this sound of music, Motown, right? Mm-hmm. That's an American style of music. How many people know that? How many people realize that that, that was created up in Detroit? That's the mm-hmm. sound of the Motor City. That's why it's called Motown, Motor City, Motor, you know? So letting us know, like, in a show about something American made like that in the arts is really important to me. Mm-hmm. I know there's shows about how jazz is made. Great. And I know there's shows of, there will be shows probably about how hip-hop and rap is made. Fantastic. We know there are shows about how musicals are made. This was great to see this particular art form get its due. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will also say it told the story of a great African-American art form and business and how it came to be. Right, because that was a a, you know, thing that people didn't want to be successful. Well, and Barry Gordy was very successful in getting this music played on white radio stations. Yeah. These artists, it was easy to get them played this... on the, the at, forgive me, but the colored stations. I know that's a taboo term now, but that's well, what they were called It's a dated it. term. That's, well, so I'll call it taboo then. But that's what they were called back then. Mm-hmm. The white stations wouldn't play this music, even though it was great. And so, Barry Gordy had a way of crafting and creating music that was friendly and safe and familiar enough for white audiences so that it could be played on white stations. So that it could and, help with integration. And it would build up their business and it would allow them to make their way into that uh, into that audience. Well, because, that. because we all know that with, you know, with everything... You get power from making more money. So the more money you can make, the more power you can have. And so for African Americans to have a powerful company helps give them more power, which helps them helps move us away from being, you know, oppressing black people. Now, listen, we're not perfect. We're not where we need to be yet. But this helps start a movement. And it's important to know, it's important to tell the story about how who founded the company, who ran the company, who created the company, who were the artists about it. They were all African-American people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were white people involved. I don't want to take away from that. There were there were white people. But at the heart of it were these Afri- great African-American artists and business people. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was so successful. And they deserve their story to be told. So is the show still relevant? I'm going to have to say no, sadly. 
as much as I love the music, I don't think the story is relevant right now, especially in the current Broadway scene. I think this uh, is a show better suited for a touring company or regional houses. It is a great show, but I don't feel for it's right for Broadway right now. I can agree with to that. As promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show. We had the good fortune of seeing the show two times in 2013 and 2014. So I'm going to say it again. It was an incredible show. Loved it. Hashtag amazing. Um, Meeting the original cast afterwards was amazing. And this is why I always say, you know, if your say is joined, get everyone's autograph because you don't know who was in an ensemble or a smaller role then, but you never know what they'll be now. You know, people like Brandon Victor Dixon, who, you know, uh, you know, I don't, okay, he wasn't a minor role, but still, meeting him then, and he would go on to be in um, Violet, Hamilton, um, Shuffle Along, things like that, you know what I mean? Um, anybody ever heard of Ariana DeBose? I don't know if anybody's heard of her. She just, like, I don't know, hosted this amazing Tony Awards, won an Oscar, was a big deal in Hamilton. Is a fierce-ass queen. Daniel J. Watts. He's kind of a big deal, too. I don't know if anybody's... No, nobody? You know, <laughs> it was incredible to meet these guys. So, um, the second time we saw the show, um, I prom- this is going to sound like a negative story, but I promise it has a good ending. Yeah. So, we are in the... Uh, mezzanine, the upper mezzanine, and there was this unbelievably rude guy. Wouldn't get off his phone, was talking. He's just a total. He was on a flip phone and wouldn't get off it. Like that's he, he was being to... a total ah! jerk, and the usher like came over and kept being like, "Sir, you know." Him and his family and his daughter. I remember his daughter had like the flashing white light, and I even was like, "Guy, like, what the heck are you doing? Like, just leave if you're not interested." Anyway. And Usher was posted, like, right by them to, like, the, put your phone away, put your phone away. At one point, when Diana Ross sings Reach Out and Touch, somebody's hand, make this run a better hand. So she says to the audience, everybody reach out, grab the person next to you's hand and start swaying with me. Well, this guy reaches out to grab the hand of the Usher, like, hey, and the Usher just, like, stares him down, like, mm-mm. Like, you have got to be, are you high? Are you kidding me? And without, like, saying a word, just the most amazing eye stare and eye roll. Like, I wish you all could see it. Just stares at him. And he's, like, waving, like, in the worst white man dancing kind of thing ever. Like, look at her, like, come on, let's hold hands. And she just stares stares him down and makes him such a smaller guy. And I was like... Thank you. You were the greatest usher ever. As long as he felt like a smaller person in that moment for being such a dick. Mm-hmm. Shout um, out to ushers. Right? Uh, also, at this time, um, I was getting ready to graduate from uh, college. college. Yay! Um, and I got to meet um, 
Who did you meet? Well, so first I met Lisa, Lisa Fraley. Who you would later meet or work with on Bright Star. Yes, who is just an amazing human. Um, and she was a hairdresser on that show. But when I met her, I was like, hey, um, you know, I'm interested in doing this. Like, what's going to be the best information? What is the best thing for me to do? And she's like, oh, actually, my supervisor's on her way out. Like, here, talk to her. Um, so I talked to this person, um, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm wanting to do this, like, I'm about to graduate from college, what do I need to do? Do I need to get my cosmetology license? And it'd be faster if I got it here, should I move up, you know, like, just asking her advice. Um, and she's like, you know, even though it would be faster to get your cosmetology license out here, definitely get your cosmetology license, but also if I were you, get it back in Utah because it's going to serve you better because it's going to transfer anywhere, which would be great if you ever do tour, da 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 and, and the instructors are more reliable. I remember that part. The instructors <laughs> are more reliable. Remember she's saying that it's almost like anybody can teach cosmetology here in New York. Right, but Utah, Utah requires you to have a license to do it. Yep. Um, and so I thanked her so much, and I made my game plan off of what she said. And then flash forward to, you know... Well, and, and we haven't disclosed this person's name. No, I know. I was going to say No, that. no, I know that. And so, you know, this is 2013. And it's funny how the universe has a funny way of putting things out there. Um, what, what's the line from Hamilton? Legacy. What is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden that you never get to see. So this is sort of a legacy because this person planted seeds in you. Please right. Continue. But so then, you know, um, flash forward to 2021, and this person just happened to be the person who hired me for my first Broadway show, um, and that would be Heather. She hired me to work with her at The Music Man. Um, so it's just, just kind of crazy how it all kind of... The first person to advise you on your hair career is also the first person to hire you on Broadway. The first Broadway person to yeah. advise me on my career. I just... When we put that together last fall, I was like, oh my God, this is the most incredible thing in the world. And I could not wait to record this episode because I was like... Oh, how things have come full circle. You know. <laughs> Universe has a very interesting way. And as we talk with Taisha, you know, theater has its way. Yes, theater is an amazing, powerful thing. And speaking of which, guys, theater's back. Theater's happening. It's the thing. So we hope you can join us and see a show sometime soon. You'll be able to catch Motown somewhere, I think, somewhere sometime. Yeah. Yeah. We also want to remind you that you, you out there, can become a producer and patron of this show by getting your Backstage Pass. Information about our Backstage Pass can be found at patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. So, until next time, hi-ho, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. 
other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. New York town, New York town, that way.